0: Hello, this is Kristen McDonald, and welcome to Second Vision. My guest today, Mark Dowd, studied with the Dominican Order at Blackfriars, Oxford, intending to be a priest, but then switched careers to become a journalist. Mark has been a BBC reporter and a documentarian. His works include Abused and Catholic, The Award-Winning Children of Abraham, 2004, And Tsunami, Where Was God?, a two-hour special for Channel 4 that won the Radio Times Best Religious Documentary of the Year award in 2006. And in 2017, his autobiography, Queer and Catholic, A Life of Contradiction, was published. And My Tsunami Journey, The Quest for God in a Broken World, is his second book, and I am so delighted to have him here today. How are you doing, Mark, from the U.K.?
1: Uh, I'm doing absolutely great. It's really wonderful to be with you today.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. As we were just saying, uh, when you got on the call, I couldn't put down the documentary on YouTube. It was really fascinating. You know, know, it, those...
1: it, yeah, it, it's um, it's amazing, isn't it, that, that a documentary which lasts for 101 minutes talking about whether God exists, in uh, the worlds of natural disasters and suffering, whether people would actually stay with that, but um, it says an awful lot. I think the fact that um, you know so many of these abstract, rather deep things are always explored best by characters, by storytelling, and by concrete situations, and I think that's exactly what uh, what unfolds in that film.
0: Oh yes, it was beautiful, and, and we'll touch on more of that. Uh as we go on in the interview. But, you know, first tell us with all your research to discover, you know, about God's role in preventing or not being able to uh, prevent natural disasters.
1: Well, you know, when you get brought up in a, uh, in a Catholic school and you ask those awkward questions when you're a teenager, you know, why, why has God created a world where babies can die of leukemia? Um, you get fobbed off with these rather simplistic answers, which is, well, it's just a mystery, you have to accept it. Uh, Or, um, uh, you know, uh, God perhaps does these things to punish us uh, for for sin. And then you scratch your head and you think, well, what has a baby done to sin when it's dying of leukemia? I mean, how does that answer the question? And um, basically, you know, the, the, the... the whole question about this book, um, The Tsunami Journey, all began with um, watching images on television with my, with my parents. It was the night of Boxing Day um, 2004, the Indian Ocean tsunami which killed nearly a quarter of a million people. The first TV images were on our screens. And when my father saw five minutes of these horrendous pictures of of bodies being swept up from the streets and so on. Uh, he just turned to me and said, why didn't God stop that? And, uh, you know, this is a man who was 76 years old. He never missed church. He never doubted the goodness of God. And his face was in shock. And, um, and was what he did was He was devastated. And when I saw that a man of such simple but strong faith uh, was so shaken to the core, I, I had to ring my friend's, in the television documentary world, uh, the head of religion at Channel 4, and I said, you know, my father could be about to lose his faith because of this event. And um, the the, the man in charge, he was a very devout Muslim, uh, Akhil Ahmed. Akil said, what's your answer to this question? Where is God? And I said, I don't know. I just, I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 35, 40 years old, and I still can't answer this question. And within half an hour, he rang me back and he said, I've got you $350,000 and you're going to go out there for uh, seven or eight weeks to talk to all of these people who've suffered and you're going to come back and try and answer the question. <laughs>
0: what a project. Oh, my, my goodness. <laughs> if that isn't God working his magic. <laughs> Yeah, well, you
1: know, uh, Kristen, often in the world of television, you can pitch these ideas and they take weeks, if not months, to come back to you with an answer. Uh, Well, we'll think about it, or we're not sure we have the budget, or I'm going to have to take it to five committees before they make a decision. This decision was made in half an hour. It just shows, doesn't it, how totally on the ball the question was, you know?
0: That's shocking. I mean, that was my industry. I worked in the industry for 25 years, so I know exactly what you're talking about. That's that's very unusual, you know. So did you interview any atheists?
1: Yes, we did. We interviewed one of the, uh, if I could use the uh, rather irreverent term, high priests of of atheism, uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins, who, of course, is the author of the famous best-selling book, The God Delusion. Um, Richard Dawkins has really irritated me, because in the ensuing days after the tsunami uh, he wrote what I thought was a very sarcastic letter to one of the national newspapers. He said, Oh, dear, dear, 125,000 people dead already. I'm beginning to wonder what you believers think of your monstrous murdering God. Oh. Uh, and so I, I, yeah, I know. I thought Such that poor was taste. capital taste. Yes, yeah, poor taste. And it's sneering at people's faith when people Absolutely. have been
0: Absolutely. They've, they've lost so much.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so
1: I, I, I contacted his office, yeah, at the University of Oxford, I contacted his office and I requested an interview. He was very keen to publish uh, this book, so he was very keen to be on TV, and um, he went to his home and I said, do people like you get enjoyment out of the discomfort of people like me when these things happen? And he said, oh, no, 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 I was just raising questions. Um, but, you know, at the end of the interview, he, he, tur- he turned the tables on me, went, well, the, he put the camera away. Well, just before he left his house, he said, Mark, can I ask you a question? You, you believe in God, don't you? I said, I do, Richard, yes. He said, but why? You seem such an intelligent man.
0: Oh, another put-down of my like against- God. <laughs> yeah,
1: I said, you're pitting intelligence against faith. You will know that some of the cleverest scientists in the world are people who have religious faith. And he said to me, why do you believe in God? And I said, Richard, I'll tell you why. Because in my short life so far, 40 years, um, I've met a handful of people who have that sense of the sacred, the sense of the holy about them. And they seem so transcendently touched with something beyond this world that I think it points to something beyond where we are. And instead of poo-pooing and dismissing my my, uh, answer, you know what he said? He just touched me on the arm and he said... Yes, yes. I think I know what you mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have gotten so, through to so
1: him. His. Yeah. Well, maybe he was touched by something. I don't know. But um, yes, but I'm, I'm I glad hope so. we covered his. Yeah, I'm glad we covered uh, his, his his point of view because don't get me wrong. I, atheism is a perfectly intellectually respectable, rational position to hold. I can absolutely see where people may think that there is no supreme being or creator or ultimate meaning to the world. It's just that, you know, I've tried being an atheist a number of times in my life and I don't have the faith to do it, you know?
0: Yes, (laughs) yes. Well... I, I go through this with a uh, with my sister many times because she uh got hit by a drunk driver at 28 and her life was just kind of wiped out and it's never been the same and our our minister came to her bedside in the hospital and had to read that book when bad things happen to good people by the rabbi isn't yeah is Howard yeah. Kushner is it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. And that helped her, you know, uh, very, very much, but as the years went on, uh, she still was not able to have the same kind of faith that I do because uh, because of the circumstances, so it's very difficult. And and in your documentary, you see these people, they're being swept up onto rooftops and watching their kids float by. I mean, I couldn't believe the interviews that you did. Let's let's talk a little bit about the cultural differences in different countries, because that was fascinating to me. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, the first place we visited was Indonesia and what was so uh, extraordinary about that was that I mean this is a country that lost 130,000 people it it suffered yeah. by far the most uh, number of casualties but you know in in Sumatra were the, the island of uh, that we visited with the the town of Banda Aceh right on the t- northernmost tip there that got got the brunt of the wave. I didn't find in the uh, 12 or 13 days we were there, there was not one person who I thought was calling God's goodness into question. I found it extraordinary. And the the difference culturally, theologically, is that for Christians, ultimately, we conceive of God as goodness and as love. Uh, for, For Muslims, God is powerful, God is inscrutable, unknowable, and God is beyond question. Therefore, it's 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 insolent and and irreverent to say to Allah, why did you do this? Why have you behaved in this way towards me? Because we as small human beings on this planet have no right to ask God of that. It's rather like the book of Job. If you remember at the end of the book of Job, Job Job asks God, he says, why have you done all this to me? I'm a good Mm -hmm. man. I mean, I've, I've lost my property and my and my livestock, and, and and I've got these terrible diseases, and, I, and I'm a good man. What what have I done to deserve it? Explain yourself. And and God doesn't give an explanation. God says, "Where were you when I created all this?" Um. It, it's actually, the Book of Job is an incredibly Islamic book of the Old Testament. I would say, um. But uh, you know, I found that so impressive um, that their belief. But of course, we have one great big call calling card and asset as Christians, which which um, the monotheistic faith of, of Judaism and, and Islam do not have, and that's the notion, not God as powerful, but God as vulnerable and God as weak, because when God enters into this world as a defenseless child and is then put to death at the age of 33... And nobody comes to rescue Jesus. Nobody comes. Uh, all the taunts there on the cross, saying, "If you are the Son of God, you know, come down and get the angels to come and rescue you." N- there's nothing that happens. God just embraces the suffering and takes us through it. And that's such an extraordinary um, apposite and appropriate image when you're looking at this question of suffering.
0: Oh, definitely. But didn't you don't you find the Muslim point of view, you know, very uh, guilt trips people? You know, in, in all those interviews you were doing, they were saying, "Well, there's bad things that happen. You know, women go off on motorcycles with their, not their husband, and uh, this is an act of God. You know, because he knows that bad things are going on." Um, well,
1: this uh, is this is utterly consistent with the Book of Job because one of the things that's really common to all of these religions and cultures is the way that really pernicious people try to make political uh, opportunistic use of other people's suffering. So we had, we had the Muslims in Indonesia saying, Allah killed all these promiscuous young people on the beach because they were having sexual relations outside of marriage. Well, why does he have to kill all the children as well? I mean, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and
0: if you question like, it, you might you know, get washed away too
1: exactly and then of course if you remember in Thailand we had that extraordinary example of the Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas uh, who, who issued a press release after this tsunami saying praise the Lord and praise God for 25,000 dead Swedes oh. and it was what? and then of course you look at what they were saying and they were saying well Sweden has a very liberal approach to homosexuality and LGBT issues therefore God sent the waves to kill the Swedes <laughs> Um, And of course, and and, and you see poor Job, of course, Job has his so-called comforters, his friends, uh, when he's suffering all of these diseases, and they say, "Well, you must have done something really bad, you know, uh, because uh, these things always happen to bad people." And so, you know, you're not telling the truth. What is it that you've done wrong? <laughs> Fact of the matter is, there is no neat equation between suffering and misfortune in this world and one's spiritual capital. We we live in a material Thank world you. where, if you're in the wrong, yeah, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, if you get the wrong genes, or you're near a tectonic plate, or you have to be bitten by a mosquito uh, that has malaria, you, you you may suffer consequences. But this is about nature uh, and the way that the model, the material world is constructed. It's not about God sending thunderbolts down all the time, you know.
0: No, I, I had someone say, you know, because so many people have tried to define why I I got a genetic disorder that that caused me to go blind. You know, almost, almost totally blind. And I remember someone said to me once, well, you, you probably, this was her religion, she probably poisoned the princess in a former life. You could have done something like that. And I said, oh, and you didn't? <laughs> I mean, people come well, up with the most it's, bizarre it's, it's, notions to make sense out of tragedy.
1: And that, again, is a common uh, perception that we made in the making of this film, that human beings seem to find this need to systematize uh, suffering under some great big umbrella concept whether it's yeah. divine punishment sin or it's karma do you remember the example in the film of, um, of the, uh, that lovely woman uh, in, in Thailand she said my two daughters probably died because they did something dreadful in a previous life
0: Yes, and I it, saw that. It, it's
1: like what? I oh, mean,
0: uh, I mean, so God, sad. God, what about what yeah.
1: about what about under reincarnation? The poor child that inherits the soul of Paul Pot or Hitler. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, where's the just where's the justice in that? There isn't any. Um, and and the other, you know, we we've been given so many of these poor explanations. My favorite, of course, is it's all Adam and Eve's fault. Um, <laughs> oh yeah,
0: that apple. Well, <laughs> the bad know, apple. Yeah, the bad apple.
1: It, listen, that's that a very powerful. It's a very powerful story, Genesis, and I absolutely believe there's truth in it, with a big T. But it is mm-hmm. not the truth that says we lived in a world free of death and disease and, and and cancers and earthquakes, and suddenly two people messed it all up, and there was suddenly there were thistles growing in the garden, and everything went wrong. Because the fact of the matter is, and disease in evolution. Predates the existence of human beings. They were around long before we appeared on the planet. In fact, if it wasn't for evolution, if it wasn't for this process, we wouldn't be here. The the very creative process that allows human life to exist is built into a process of death and destruction and recreation, you know?
0: Yes, the natural disasters, but, you know, it's hard to, you wake up thinking about Ukraine and you wonder how are those people coping, you know, what's when it comes to genocide, you know, I mean, those are man-made things, man-caused things, you know, but uh, it's very hard to have faith, you know, when, when your country's being destructed and people you love yeah. are being killed, you know.
1: But also, I wouldn't mind betting that in the years to come, when hopefully all this is over, there will be testaments from people who are in that steelworks in Mariupol, uh, in the south of the country, and, and other parts who will say, if it wasn't for my faith, I would not have kept going. It was the last thing I was holding on to.
0: I agree. Uh, I, I thought agree. of mine.
1: You know, it's it's because, you know, if you, you need that ultimate sense of transcendence. And if I had um, a crucifix in my hand and saw the image of that crucified God and what that. Um, person did 2,000 years ago and went through, that could possibly get me through every day because I would think, you've been here too, and you're telling me that after three days, this is not the end of the story, that I have to keep going, you know?
0: Yes, yes. I I remember doing uh, workshops for Junior League of America for homeless people, and uh, throughout all the interviews that I had with those people who were now getting housing and they were off the streets they said it was their faith it was a faith in something that got them off the bench you know to get to get out and get help and repeatedly i said well what got you here tonight and they had been people who just lost their jobs or become homeless or had a drug addiction and each and every one of them had some sort of faith in a higher power
1: yeah yeah and um perhaps the most Spectacular example of that in in Indonesia was that extraordinary man, Fadil. If you remember, he lost all of his family. Oh, Uh, 19 members.
0: Wasn't it something like that?
1: 19 members. They were all all celebrating his brother's wedding. They were all partying.
0: Unbelievable.
1: And they said, this wave is coming, the wave is coming. And then he tried to get them all into this vehicle and and to drive away to escape the incoming water. And um, he got washed into a mosque. And uh, he took me back to the mosque. Yeah, yeah. And then when he, when the waters receded, he came back to the vehicle and found both his mother and a couple of his um, young nephews and nieces dead in the vehicle. And you know, I said to him, "Is your faith weaker or stronger now after all that you've been through?" And he said, "Oh, stronger." He said, "Because God is all I have left in my life." And I said, "Well, why? Why does why does God let these things happen?" And he shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know, but maybe God had decided that now was the time for these people to be called back to him. That he had this faith that they were with God, uh, the, that his yeah. own personal sense, yeah, that his personal sense Incredible. was his own, yeah, his own burden. But he didn't think, and of course, and in India, that beautiful moment with that um, lovely young woman, she lost her four-year-old son, and she was yes. smiling and, 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 and beaming at me, and I thought she'd be... Crying with you know, and, and I said, you seem so content and resigned to what's happened. And she said, Mark, my son Dinesh uh, is a little divine piece of spirit and spark. God has gone back to God. Uh, what an extraordinary, I just gave extraordinary,
0: extraordinary, yeah, yeah, the yeah. strength, you know,
1: you know, yeah. It's it's humbling meeting people like this, and it's of course, very humbling. I realized. Yeah, making this film I realized perhaps I was coming at this from a very rational and analytical, you know, intellectual point of view with this, this this conundrum about why God allows such suffering but um there was that extraordinary um priest we interviewed in the in the in the Catholic church in India and I said well, when the tsunami happened did everybody come to you wailing and saying where is God? And he smiled to me and said, no, 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 Mark. He said, it was only Western journalists like you who asked. Oh,
0: yes, I remember <laughs> hearing that.
1: <laughs>
0: well, and someone said... Go ahead.
1: Yeah, he put me in my place. It was quite humbling. It was, you know, the, the power and like faith. Only journalists like you. Yeah, people like you, you know. he'd uh, probably thinking of us a bit like Richard Dawkins.
0: Snooping around. But what was... Yeah,
1: what, what what was telling about the interview was that he hadn't told me any smart new answers, but I realized that sometimes the answer to this problem of suffering is not coming up with words and concepts and explanations. It's about being in the world. It's about how you are with people. Because when I saw him, the way he was revered, the, the way he was so compassionate and you know, he was like a walking Christ figure amongst these poor people. And I thought, that is the answer to suffering, being an incarnate example of love amongst people. That says more than a million books can ever say, you know?
0: Yes, that actually was one of my next questions, was how do people, how do people cope afterwards? And I, I remember you in one of, your, uh, one of the things I read in your background, you're saying that people do it by giving and, and by knowing that they still have <clears throat> excuse me, the gift of life you know, and and seeing what they could do to help.
1: That's that's right. I mean, we have to be careful here because sometimes uh, these thinkers in the past have come up with these explanations like, um, oh, well, you know, God uses suffering to enhance our character and to make us better. Um, I can't believe in a God who, almost like a, a tyrant, wants to deliberately cause suffering to make people better, almost like some sort of torturing instrument, you know? I got oh, yeah. very irritated at one point in India with that guru, if you remember, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. He said, Mark, without the tsunami, doctors and nurses couldn't come here and show how virtuous they are. And, and I said, I'm sorry, but if, if, if I've lost a child in the tsunami, I would much rather have my daughter or my son living. And for these people to stay in the USA, in Europe, and not come here, I just don't accept your argument. He said, oh, you're getting very angry <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'm, g- I'm getting angry you know, on behalf of the people who would feel rather patronized by this sort of explanation." You know,
0: definitely, definitely. And and it was one of the interviews. Someone said, "You can only know good when there's evil, or you know, light when there's darkness." Yeah. And so, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that was a, again a moment of great um, serendipity. And you know, if you're a a humanist or an atheist who just believed that all the world is full of coincidences when you have faith. And there were so many times in this documentary where just at the right moment, the right people or the right book or the right interview fell into our lap to make the whole project better. I, I, and I did pray. I mean, I, I'm a terrible person when it comes to prayer. I find prayer very, very hard. Uh, but I a number of times just had to resign myself and say, this film is about you. Make make it a good film, and and make it you know. This is all about you. That's cute. Yeah, it is. It's it's, because basically the film is called Tsunami. Where was God? And it's over to you. And you know, um, when we got back from this um, extraordinary tour of the Indian Ocean, we've been out there for about eight or nine weeks. We came back, and I said to one of my program team, you know. We've met extraordinary people. Uh, we've we've got some amazing footage. It's going to be a, a film, but I still don't feel really any nearer to the answer to the question, to be honest. Um, we've met remarkable people, but, but I can't just end the film and say, well, you either survive or you don't, and it's a question of faith, good night, because that's just <laughs> too glib. It's too <laughs> simple, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. would you believe it, the next day, one of my uh, producer colleagues, Uh, He was Googling away on on, um, his his laptop, and he said, Mark, come here. Look at this. I can't believe it. And I went over to his laptop, and there was a link that said, the Vatican Observatory to sponsor a week-long conference on God and natural disasters.
0: Oh, "Oh, that is an incredible I mean, it was like the
1: next day, you know, and and, and, um, I said, but but," then we looked at the cast list of the people who were going, and there was a a physicist and these biologists and these theologians, and and it was happening. I didn't even know the Vatican had an observatory, you know, um, in Rome. The angels were
0: listening.
1: Yeah, and we rang up the Jesuit uh, community who ran the observatory, and I said, Father Coyne, um, it's Mark Dowd here from... uh, from Channel 4 UK, he said, oh, are you a journalist? (laughs) I said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, but I used to be a Dominican friar, but you're a Jesuit, and we're traditionally enemies in the church. I don't know whether I'm doing myself any favors here. Uh, And he said, Mark, why are you ringing? And I said, I want to film at this conference. And I explained where we'd been. And he said, Mark, it sounds like our conference is an answer to your prayers. And, uh, and you know, it really was because what we unveiled in, in that conference or what the people there showed us was this much more subtle and intriguing explanation that basically in the natural world, all positives and negatives are so intertwined. Um, you think that tectonic plates are just murderous aspects of the Earth's crust. And then somebody sits there and says, no, they forced land above water necessary for human life. They renew mm-hmm. the crust of the earth because they regenerate the the, the ores and the minerals. Um, without tectonic plates, the surface of the world would just be a swamp. We'd all be frogs and amphibians, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at you look at a mosquito and you think, well, what is the purpose in God's world as a mosquito? Actually, very little of what the mosquito does is cause malaria. They are arch-pollinators. They play a huge role in the food chain. Cyclones are about heat transfer uh, between certain parts of the planet. It's all about keeping the world in some sort of equilibrium. Even cancers, which you'd say, how would you explain the world of cancer? that the roaming of genetical material in a random, haphazard way, which is basically what a lot of cancer is about, is also the process through which evolution takes place and how you and I are here today having this interview. Um, they're, they're because of cancer, so think, you said? Well, yeah, because basically when these genes go off piece, if you like, or when, these, when the DNA um, mutates and, and it goes a bit awry, it, it, it's not being guided in some mysterious, godly way at every single moment. It has a kind of freedom to, to, to behave according to its own kind of nature. And so, there's so much wastage in the natural world. I mean, 99% of all the species that have ever lived probably, you know, don't even walk on on planet Earth today. And yet, here we are, human beings with intelligence, morals, and ethics, having this, you know, fascinating conversation. The big question that we boiled it down to in the end was: Why has God created at all if you can't separate one from the other? And that ultimately is is the really big question, I think. You know?
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Very fascinating. And so, tell us about the the vast difference between the East and the West. You know, with their philosophies.
1: I think that certainly in the West, how they deal with disaster. Yeah, I think in the West we're cursed with a sort of over-analytical, over-rational approach to things sometimes. Uh, I think in the East there's much more a sense of the unity of all forces and and um, pressures in the world. There's a really good example of that. The, uh, in India, we visited a number of temples there, uh, and one of them was dedicated to, to Shiva. Um, and um, There's this image, I think, that probably many of your listeners will know about, that the god with all the sort of different limbs all doing this dance, it looks like this god has sort of seven or eight uh, hands and legs, one extraordinary um, creation. And I said to one of the Indian philosophers, what's this dance called? He said, it's called the Tandava. And I said, "And, and, and what's the moral of this dance? He said that Shiva is both the god of creation and the god of destruction. But they're not two separate gods. We don't have different gods for creation and destruction. They're all bound in together. Life is a unity of all of these forces. So um, he said, I think I know enough about your Christian Gospels. You have one very interesting example of this. Uh, I think Jesus says, unless a grain of seed die and fall into the ground... You cannot have reached generation and new life," he said. "Life and death are absolutely, totally dependent on one another. Uh, and This this came this kept coming up from uh, everywhere we went uh, in, in 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 the east. This this acceptance that um, it is all part of this great big cosmic process that you, as a tiny little ant on the surface of the earth, are just part of, and it. It gives you perspective, because instead of saying when something terrible happens, why me? Why, God, have you done this to me? You see yourself uh, as, you know, one of 8 billion human beings on a planet that's been here for 1.4 billion years, and you think, you know, I've been gifted this this gift of life, but actually here's something called perspective, which I'm being given. And I think that's what the East... Um, Had And also, of course, in Thailand, you had a very good intellectual answer to the problem, which is you can, if you want, take God out of the equation. One of the Buddhist monks there said, you know, the Buddha said, I don't know whether God exists or not, but why do you spend all of your life agonizing about this problem? Isn't it better just to find people who are suffering and deal with it as you meet it, rather than spending all of your life chasing your tail, trying to prove whether God exists or not? And, you know, I walked away from that interview and thought, hmm, probably has a point.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that.
1: There is. But, of course, Kristen, the, the thing is also um, when you're blessed with a faith from your family, when it's part of your DNA, when it's part of your identity, and your culture, you, you can't just click a delete button on the basis of an interview and say, OK, I think I'll stop believing now.
0: And no, no. But if your family's wiped uh, away, it's, it's certainly easy to, to push a delete button.
1: Oh, yeah. And of course, what, what I often felt in these interviews was, here's me. You know, I've got um, my parents at home. I've got two brothers. I have a whole gang of great friends and I'm blessed with a great job. I'm asking all these pertinent, pressing questions of these people who've lost everything. What would it be like if that was me? Would would my own faith really really survive the test of being in this cauldron, this fire of 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 test, uh, or would I would I crumple? And of course, I don't know the answer to that until it happens. You know. No, so none um, of us know.
0: Absolutely.
1: No. And, and you visited no, no, this it twenty years
0: later. Why was that?
1: It's because I've never stopped thinking about it, and and um, I, I wrote a. Uh, a first book which was very successful and very well received and then a publisher contacted me a couple of years ago and said Mark, you know, do you think you have a second book in you? And I said "Um, well, I said you know have a look at this documentary I made I've often thought this journey I did uh, that lasted two months with all of the questions about God um, would make a fascinating book and of course they looked at the film and said oh we want this 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 really lends. So people love travel diaries. People love stories of journeys and discovery, and and also the question you raise is such a pressing one because, you know, what we made clear at the beginning of this book uh, is that this book is neither for convinced atheists and it's not for very. Evangelical Christians who believe in the literal biblical truth that, and, and that God does not have a case to answer for. If, if people have those beliefs, that's fine. I respect them, but they probably don't need a book like this. This book is for two groups of people: uh, troubled believers, of who I very much call myself one, <laughs> uh, and, and agnostics. Agnostics, people who really do want to come to faith but just find this question of God's goodness in a world of suffering just too difficult a Rubicon to cross. Yes. And uh, that's, that's, that's why we wrote it, and that's why I, I, I went into print for the second time.
0: I can't wait to read it. Is it on Audible?
1: Uh, that's a great question, because um, I've been asked that so many times in the last week. So I called my agent last week, uh, the lovely Bill Goodall, and Bill got me an Audible contract uh, for the first book we did, Queer and Catholic, um, and um, I said to Bill, I said, Bill, Bill, this is a travel diary. It really lends itself to, uh, To he said, leave it with me. I know just the person to call. So I'm fingers crossed. I'm extremely confident that uh, within uh, within weeks and months we're going to get this out there. Because for people like yourself, Kristen, and lots of others, I have lots of uh, friends in the UK who are visually impaired Um some of them have used uh, these wonderful pieces of technology uh, and, and got Kindle uh, up. It's already available on Kindle, but you, of oh, course, as you know yourself, yes, yes, yeah. That's once good. you get but the Kindle version, you, you you get these voice recognition technologies. And uh, yes. one of my friends, Alex, the other yeah. day said, "I've got your book on Kindle now. Am I going to make you an American, a Canadian, or an Irishman, <laughs> 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 or, or even oh, a woman?" God. I said,
0: "Well, I don't know."
1: Because you get a choice of all these voices, don't
0: you? Don't believe me. I tell people it's not the vision loss that caused me to go crazy. It's all the voices in my house. You know, I have like a different one. I have Alexa in the bedroom. I have a voiceover on my phone. I have a different guy on the computer. (laughs) So, but you should narrate the Audible book because you have such a wonderful presence and voice, you know. But let's tell our our listeners about your website and about how to find the the YouTube documentary and your book. Yeah,
1: so the... The, the website is very simple it's www.markdowd that's 8 letters m a r k d o w d .uk uk for the united kingdom and uh, if you go onto youtube the title of the documentary is called tsunami where was god uh it's it's in three parts uh because of the fact that uh, you're only allowed to upload up to i think just under an hour at a time so um, and actually i didn't upload it some um, Religion teacher in the UK saw it on TV and immediately said, "This is going to be great for my students. Uh, this is worth 20 books, and uh, of course they'll engage with a documentary of two hours much more than a, a whole series of books." So um, I that, watched it twice. The, uh, I couldn't
0: put it down. The the YouTube documentary.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that's fantastic. I uh, I hope you uh, were able to fast forward through some of the commercials.
0: <laughs> oh no, I was lucky. I was I'm used to it anyway, you know. In fact there was one beautiful story okay. in there where the, the um the, I forgot what country it was in where they were in a boat and they prayed and then suddenly uh you would know the story I'm talking about. You went in oh, well, said, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the, the
1: boat story that I remember most were the Buddhist monks who gave refuge to a whole group of uh, fishermen. Who Most of the, uh, the the fishing community in Thailand had all their wooden boats smashed on the rocks by the tsunami, and they yeah. had no livelihood. They had no way to make a living. And the Buddhist monks just said, you will come here, you will stay with us, we will feed you, we will shelter you, and we will help you to meet, make your boats. And we, we filmed all these Buddhist monks Helping out there, some of them were engineers, and uh, they were putting all these boats back together again. Again, part of all this process of creation and destruction, where the two things are absolutely inseparable. Yes, you know?
0: yes, it was beautiful. That really, really uh, spoke to me, and and all of it spoke to me. I, I for our listeners, you know, I hope you will check out uh, Mark's book both of his books, and his YouTube documentary. And I can't wait to read your new book. And is there any words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with before we close? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Besides all the other words of wisdom you've shared?
1: (laughs) um, I I think there's a moment very close to the end of the book where there's a beautiful quotation from uh, an Anglican, a church of England, Episcopalian, uh, scientist who wrote in the 1960s. His name was Austin Farrer. He he knew an awful lot about physics and the workings of the world. And for all of his being a bright and, and, and uh, intelligent man, he said, ultimately, the gift of faith I have found often to reside in the simple lives of farm workers, of people who just accept the flow and the ebb and flow of life. Uh, Often, the intellect can only perceive so much that ultimately there has to be a sense of of surrender and resignation to the bigger and wider truth. And And I said in the last page of my book, I'm going to resign myself now to trying to pray more and to analyze less. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, and, I hope that, and I hope that God... Because when we pray, I, as a child and as a young man, I often thought it was this very crude sense of petitionary prayer. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, help me with my exams. God, help me make my leg get better. Uh, and then you test God depending on whether you pass the exam or whether the leg gets better. What happens if prayer is a self-emptying of yourself, that you, you simply sit there and say... I'm really very little. I'm just opening up some space now. Move into the space and and do your work in me. I think that's it's taken. I'm 62 years old now. It's taken that long in this book and this film to get me to that point in life. Isn't that interesting?
0: Yes, very interesting. It's also very beautiful, though. And and I, you know, I was always told. As I sort of you know sought God later in life that it's all about gratitude, you know too. it's not just the asking, it's the thanking and and that helped me a great deal in my life, you know to focus on what I had, you know uh, rather than testing you know that when we were growing up, like you said, testing God, you know, well, I want this and please pray for this and uh, but to thank God for what you what you have, like these survivors did that they were they were still here, they still had the gift of life
1: yes and and also, as a Christian um you know we've just come through Holy Week and Easter, but we have an image of God on that cross saying, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me the, the, the when those times in our lives where everything looks utterly without meaning, without bleak. purpose bleak that that God is not remote, God has said. I'll do bleak, I'll do remote, and I'll do uh, abandonment. And I will imagine the most compelling story of, of you know, I think I said in a, a BBC interview recently about the book, um, they were asking me about the image of the cross. And I said, if Jesus had died, to the age, uh, had lived to the age of 80 and died in his sleep, we wouldn't really have much of a story, would we?
0: <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> and, and we well, depending on what he did us. on earth when he was here. If that's right. around
1: on water. Yeah, if you're looking for a compelling climax to questions about suffering and meaninglessness, then for all of its horror, the crucifixion and what happens with the empty tomb is just the most perfectly devised narrative that God could possibly have fashioned. That's, and that's true. And that's the imagination that we have to, 2,000 years on, we have to hold on to that dearly. Yes. and and say, what does that speak to us now in in the meaninglessness and bleakness? And it it, it gives you permission to doubt because God also doubted on that cross. So it is not a bad thing to ask those questions and to say, where are you? Um, In the Psalms as well, uh, we get this. uh, You know, I cry to you all day long, why do you hide your face? Um, Mm. It's all there. We think that this is a sort of 21st century Angst ridden phenomena. Um, no, but it, it's been there in, throughout the whole of the human condition, and it's not strange to our ancestors. And uh, there's there's a lot of wisdom in those writings.
0: Fascinating. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. It's just we could go on forever. And again, I was just mesmerized by the documentary and can't wait to read the book. For those of you listening, um, my guest today, author and journalist Mark Dowd. I'm Kristen McDonald, and remember, Hope and faith in a higher power is essential to survival. And thanks for listening.